So, welcome to J Talk. Uh, I'm your host, Jay Ramsey, and of course, we've got our wonderful producer here, Nick O'Donohoe from the Nick Drop. <laughs> I love those goofy numbers in there. Hey, everybody. Yep. Um, so, today's uh, podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, suicide, and we've got a special guest with us today, Cami uh, from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Hi, everyone. So thank you for joining us, Cammie. So um, I'll let you introduce yourself, kind of talk a little bit about what you do. Let's start off there, and then we'll, we'll dive into the show a little more. That sounds great. Well, like you mentioned, my name is Cammie Hazim, and I serve as the area director for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And I cover um, areas from Houston all the way east to Beaumont, and then San Antonio all the way down south to the Valley. So it's a good big chunk of Texas. Um, We rely on our volunteer board that helps us kind of carry out our mission, which is to save lives and bring hope to those affected by suicide. And AFSP does that in a lot of different ways. I'm sure we'll get into that later. So I don't know how much you want me to say about that now, but... You know, our, our mission is really simply just to um, save lives and bring hope to those affected by suicide. That's a great mission, really is. Um, and it's a, suicide's not exactly something that's easy to uh, deal with, uh, considering uh, I have um, lost my son to suicide uh, three years ago. So it's, uh, I definitely understand. And this is a cause that, you know, we don't necessarily want to get behind for the reason of um, nobody wants to experience suicide, but mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a cause that I have a passion for um, because I don't want anybody else to have to experience what I did, and I, I hope that sounds okay. But I mean, it's it's it is a fact. It, it, there's suicide everywhere, and Especially with COVID, it's been really hard. So, um, mm-hmm. go ahead. Sorry, you, you sound like you wanted to say something. No, I was just, uh, you know, just listening to your story and thank you for sharing. You know, I think probably every week I talk to a parent that has lost a child to suicide, and you know, it's just heartbreaking. I'm a parent myself, and you know, you want to do everything you can do to keep your kids safe. And, you know, that's why I love the um, community education that we have at AFSP, because it really gives parents and um, others the tools in their toolbox to, to be able to have a conversation about mental health, to be able to ask someone, you know, hey, are you having thoughts of suicide? Um, To be able to recognize what those risk factors are, what the warning signs are, and then to know what to do with that. You know, someone you love is showing those signs. Well, I was kind of wondering, you had said that risk factors and signs, maybe we can get a little bit more in depth into what are the risk factors and is there a sign or is there a way to figure out if any of this is coming about? From what I'm understanding is sometimes there's just no way to find out or there's, you know, or there are signs and we don't know what they are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so, you know, when we go, we've got a presentation that's called Talk Saves Lives, and um, that's about an hour presentation. You know, since COVID, we've been doing it strictly via Zoom, 
and, um, you know, it really gives people, like we said, you know, the risk factors and we break that down in the presentation by saying, you know, the risk factors, um, you know, can be, you know, things like, you know, maybe a, you know, past history with substance abuse. Um, it could be, you know, maybe you lost a loved one to suicide. It could be um, just mental health issues going on. You know, the most common one we see is depression, but it could be things like PTSD or, you know, anxiety or, you know, we've got a whole list, um, you know, of different things like that. Um, you know, the, the things that people most often see are the environmental factors. So his wife left him or, you know, his girlfriend broke up with him or he lost his job. You know, so a lot of people point to, you know, that. But what we know about suicide is there's no single reason why someone takes their life. Um, it's a lot of intersecting things coming together. You know, if you all have ever played the game Jenga, you know, I want you to think about the risk factors like Jenga blocks. Um, so every Jenga block is a different risk factor. So, you know, maybe that substance abuse or drinking, you know, maybe that was past childhood trauma or abuse. Um, maybe you lost a family member to suicide or a close friend to suicide. You know, maybe you've got one of these um, mental health issues going on, like depression, anxiety, PTSD. And, you know, the higher your Jenga block gets, just the more unsteady it, it becomes. And when you get that last block, you know, so your girlfriend left you or you lost your job, that kind of just sends everything tumbling. Um, so we don't often see all the things, all the underlying um, risk factors. We just see that last one. So it is important to note, you know, that no one takes their life for one single reason. There's a lot of things going on. It's interesting, though, that you can, I mean, I can understand that, too, on a perspective as to, like yeah, somebody lost their job or they're devastated at a divorce or, you know, things like that. But are there ever any times when you just can't see the signs or it's just not apparent? Yeah. I mean, people are really good at kind of hiding um, or masking their feelings. You know, think about when you're having a really bad day and someone comes to you and they're like, Hey Nick, how are you? You know, what do you say? I'm fine. How are you? You know, so right. you don't want to show it. It's really easy for people, you know, to to hide that, you know, especially if you don't live with them and you, you can't keep track of kind of their daily habits. Um, but some of the warning signs, you know, that we tell people about um, are going to be talk, behavior and mood. Um, and when we say talk, we're we're speaking about things like, you know, um, you know, them saying that they want to end their life or them saying that, you know, everybody would be better off without me or, you know, I'm such a burden, um, you know, and that could be said in a joking or a serious manner. Um, you know, you want to take it the same. Um, it could be things like, you know, the talk could be, you know, talking about unbearable pain they're in. Um, so the behavior you know, are things like, you know, erratic behavior, sleeping too much, not sleeping enough, um, you know, drinking too much or, you know, substance abuse. Can I uh, jump in on this one for a second, Tammy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I will say it's really hard in this day and age for people to identify some of those things that you're talking about 
um, because so many people are unglued and people don't talk like they used to. Um, you know, everybody's glued into their phone. You know, they're too busy with their lives. Um, different things like that. Um, I remember talking with a friend of mine, and he he made the comment: "It's it's always really hard, you know, because sometimes they, like you said, they mask their feelings, and honestly, sometimes they're the happiest before it happens." Right. Mm -hmm. Because they know that there's into their pain. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that, that's how they view it. And so sometimes somebody could look at that and say, oh, things must be better. Things must be great. But you still need to, you know, as, as a parent, you really need to dive in and figure out what's going on. Is, is it really great or is it they're just, they're finally happy it's going to be over? Yeah, and when we talk about the warning signs in our presentation, you know, when we're kind of listing out, you know, those behaviors. So, you know, withdrawing from activities, isolating from family or friends, you know, giving away prized possessions. Um, one of the things that we list are, you know, hey, if you've seen this behavior and then all of a sudden they do a 180 and they seem happy and everything's turned around, you want to look into that because that might mean that they've got a plan to end their pain. Um, you know, and, and we know that, you know, most suicidal people don't necessarily want to die. They just want their pain to end. Um, I remember I was giving this talk up in the woodlands a couple years ago and a guy stood up and he kind of shared his story about, you know, wanting to take his life and, you know, making a plan and writing a note. You know, luckily his wife was able to intervene and he, what he said to us was, you know, the pain of living is just greater than the fear of dying. So he's, you know, just talked to us about the pain and how hard it was just to get up every day and go through the day, um, you know, and he had physical pain around that. And I know that I've given this presentation a few times and people say, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, depression could come with physical pain. I thought it was just kind of all in your head. And it's like, no, I mean, these people are experiencing um, physical pain, you know, in their body and you're just wanting that pain to end. So how, how did it, how did he fix that? I mean, how did he overcome, rise above that or overcome that pain, that physical pain? Well, so he, you know, his wife realized something was wrong and she put him in the car and took him to the emergency room. And, you know, for him, I think it was probably a combination of therapy, talk therapy and medication that got him back on track. Right. Um, but you know, I see him and he looks to be doing great. I mean, that was a long time ago, I think like 10 years ago, but you know, she was just able to intervene. Um, but just to go back to the warning signs. So we, we talked about talk. Um, so, you know, they're talking about killing themselves, feeling hopeless, having no reason to live, feeling trapped, that pain, um, the behavior. And then the thing we didn't talk about was the mood. Um, so things like depression, anxiety, loss of interest, irritability, humiliation, agitation, rage. Um, that's what we really want to look out for. So it's when we see these things is, you know, when we want to, you know, start asking questions. And, you know, I think the biggest myth for people is, you know, they don't want to ask about suicide because they don't want to plant something in someone's head. Um, you know, and we know that that 
couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, you're not going to give someone that idea if they're not already thinking. Right. Probably going to be really relieved, you know, that you asked and that you noticed and, you know, that can kind of take a burden off of them. You know, so just really, we say, just ask directly, you know, are you considering suicide? Are you thinking about killing yourself? You know, we really don't want people asking, you know, hey, um, you're not thinking about doing anything crazy, are you? Um, because that really has kind of like a judgmental tone and they'll probably be less likely to open up. Um, you know, you're not thinking about doing anything stupid, right? So, you know, you can hear the sound of that between. Wow, that is interesting because you're right. It does sound very judgmental. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you really want to be just a good listener. So just asking someone and, you know, especially that someone you're close to, you know, maybe not saying, hey, are you okay? But hey, how are you sleeping? Have you been sleeping? Because that's a big, you know, kind of telltale factor. You know, if people are getting enough sleep, if they're getting rest, um, you know, like, what are you most worried about these days? Um, You know, kind of those open-ended questions where they're, you know, where they can't say, I'm fine, everything's fine, you know, I'm great. So when they're saying this, all this, is this a chemical imbalance in the brain or in the body? that forces people to have the depression or the anxiety, the rage or the. Yeah. So we know that, you know, suicide is a health issue and it's a health issue the same way that you would think about cancer or diabetes or heart disease, anything like that, you know, and just like their risk factors, you know, for those diseases, you know, we talked about the risk factors for suicide. So, yeah, I mean, we know that the brains of people um, that have taken their life actually look different. You know, when you look at MRIs, when you look at scans, you know, we know that depression affects the brain. Um, we know that there's chemical imbalances, you know, and people that have PTSD, I mean, their brain just looks differently. Um, so it's, it's a health issue. And I think that, you know, the more we can talk about it, take away the stigma, um, you know, ASSP is really excited about the new three-digit number that's coming out next year, you know, so if you're having a mental health crisis, you can call 988, um, you know, similar to 911 or 311, and, you know, that helps kind of further solidify that this is a health issue, you know, the brain, and I think a lot of people forget this, the brain is part of your body, and, you know, if, you know, Jay were to come to you, Nick, and say, God, I've got a toothache, and my tooth is killing me, and I can't eat, I can't sleep, it's just throbbing, you wouldn't hesitate to tell Jay to call dentist and go in. Right. You know, you know, we we do preventative medicine all the time. You know, we get our annual shots. We go to the dentist a couple of times a year for preventative stuff. And I think that, you know, for people, our brains are no differently. You know, so if you're having trouble, talk to someone. And it's really funny because I would think that the majority of the population are afraid to go see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, depending on the particular situation, you know. Even just go see a counselor. Yeah. I mean, people are, oh, I don't want people to see that I'm, you know, having a mental problem, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I get that too, because I'm right now thinking I've actually got a psychologist that I went to years ago for a, a different situation, but I'm ready to go back and see him again just to get me balanced, you know. Uh, one of the things that Jay and I have been talking about lately is is both of us being single and online dating. It's very emotional. It's very traumatic. It's very hard emotionally, and it can tend to put you in a position where 
you get depressed or your anxiety peaks or things like that. And I personally don't have a problem saying, hey, I'm going to a psychologist and this guy's fantastic and he's helping me get balanced, whether it's just on a day-to-day practice of things I need to work out for me emotionally, mentally, or maybe I do need certain types of medication to keep my chemical imbalance stimulated in the right way so that I can think positive and do the right thing and focus on my inner health or emotional health going forward. And I think they're tied together. In my personal opinion, you got to realize your brain controls your body. Your brain can dictate on a bad, I would say on a bad day when you're at work and you're just emotionally and mentally exhausted, your body is too. That's a physical condition coming from the brain. Right. And so it's there's no reason why you can't be physically just hurting. So, um, you know, I have no problems with that either. It's if you need help, I, I think it's you know something that everyone, a therapist, a counselor, like you said, a uh, a psychologist, psychiatrist. Um, and I think, you know, there's the more people that are open with saying like, hey, you know, I needed help. I talked to someone and I feel a lot better. I got reset. I, you know, the more people that are open with that, it's going to, you know, de-stigmatize that. Um, you know, something else that we didn't talk about, you know, that I did want to mention, because I think it's really important in talking about stigma is the way in which we talk about suicide. Um, you know, really matters and it helps to either contribute um, or reduce the stigma. And, you know, instead of, you know, we really try to discourage people from saying the word committed suicide um, or, you know, something was a failed or successful attempt, you know, the word committed, um, you know, you think about someone committed a crime or they committed a killing spree. Um, you know, like we said, suicide is a health issue. So we would never say that somebody committed cancer or they committed a heart attack. No, they died, you know, they died by suicide, you know, or they ended their life or they killed someone. Um, you know, also when we talk about failed or successful attempts, you know, you know, a failed attempt that, you know, really means that someone lived, you know, or a successful attempt really means that somebody lost their life. So it's just, you know, being aware of how we're talking about that, um, you know, so that we can work to reduce that stigma. It's, it's about the way you talk. I mean, it's, and it's the perception of the entire public because a person, you know, probably would be cognizant of what they're trying to say. And if they realized it wouldn't say it, but it's public's point of view to change. And that's the challenge. So if more people talk about it, more people change the way they talk about it, it affects the public. I think that's the big thing, and that's part of the um, foundation's kind of goal, to get to talk about it and mm-hmm. get people to move forward and, and address the issue. Like you said, mm-hmm. it's, it's a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And I know that we spoke a little bit about, you know, what those risk factors are, but um, on the other side of that, you know, they're protective factors and those are things that can help keep us safe. Um, and that's things like, you know, getting, you know, mental health care, 
um, you know, having family and community support, um, really teaching kids those problem-solving skills, the resiliency skills, um, and then just being really proactive about your mental health, you know, so making it a priority. You know, like we said, if you've got a toothache, you're going to call the dentist. So if you're not feeling good, you know, you're going to call someone and, and get evaluated. Maybe we should have a mental health physical. I know. Yeah, we should. We should just kind of a check in. Um, and then you mentioned, you know, some of the things, you know, that you did around like exercise, you know, keeping control of your diet, you know, sleep, stress management. We've got a slide that shows all four of those things. And, you know, I always say, I mean, it seems really cliche, but, you know, raise your hand you know, if you're doing all four of these things um, really consistently, you know, and hardly ever anyone raises their hand, you know, and, you know, we talk about sleep and I say, you know, raise your hand if you got eight hours or more of sleep and hardly anyone raises their hands, you know, seven hours, six hours, five hours. And, you know, sleep is just really connected to how we feel. And, um, you know, especially if you've got anxiety or depression, I mean, you really need that sleep. Um, especially for kids, you know, especially the ones that are up all night on their phones. Um, they need sleep in order to thrive. And that's just, that's a big component. So for a teenager, what would be an average night's sleep that they should get? Oh, goodness. I mean, I would say probably eight hours, if not more. Right. Eight and a half. Yeah. You know, I, I know I talk my nieces in high school and I, every time I see her, I'm like, what time did you go to bed? And she's like, 3 a.m., 2 a.m. I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm just texting with friends, you know, so. TikToking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we, they don't, that doesn't happen around here. Now, my son, who's um, 23, he uh, will stay up a little late, but even he has gotten to the point where he goes to bed around midnight. Um, but <laughs> even during the summer, my 11-year-old, his bedtime is 10 o'clock. And that's, that's, that's our standard. You know, you go to bed at 10 o'clock. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And I, I like the structure of that. Um, mm -hmm. It keeps him kind of balanced, um, you know, and, and so it's, it's a little more challenging for him because uh, he was eight years old when all this happened. So um, he needs all the uh, help he can get. Right. And so mm -hmm. he actually does go see a counselor because it's a little more challenging. <coughs> Um, you know, some other things that we talk about, um, you know, in the presentation are kind of, you know, how do I, how do I reach out? You know, if I'm worried about someone, if I'm seeing these signs or risk factors, and we ask everyone, you know, of course, talk to them in private. Um, you really want to listen to their story. You know, so many of us, myself included, you know, someone calls to vent, you know, Nick, maybe Jay calls you to vent about something and you know, your first inclination is to say, well, hey, did you try this? Or have you looked this up? Or why don't you say this? Um, and we want to fix it for people. Um, and people that are in crisis, people that are really struggling, they just want someone to hear them. So we're not fixing, we're just listening. Um, of course, express concern and caring. And then, like we mentioned, asking directly about those thoughts. Are you thinking about, you know, ending your life? Um, which things that we want to avoid is really minimizing their feelings, you know, so like, Hey, it could always be worse. or So-and-so has it even worse or, you know? Yes. Um, I know. I know exactly what you're saying. I just wanted to interject. It's, it's kind of hard. I will tell you this. 
being the type of person that I am, I have noticed there are some people that are um, completely, and it's natural for them to just listen sympathetic. Whereas me, as a father, I have a tendency to just, it's, it's all about fixing the problem. What do you got? You know, mm-hmm. when I was married, my ex-wife would come to me, I'd, okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to fix the problem? When my kids would come to me, it's what do we need to do? You know, I've, I've listened to what you said, but what do we need to do? What do you need from me to fix the problem? And it's, it's very challenging to take a step back and actually just listen as a natural fixer, as I guess is what I would say. And, and just, I'll let you continue, Cami, but, you know, there are a lot of people and and that's where the counselors, that's where the therapist can really help in those situations. But we also need to take the time, listen to the problem, and realize maybe sometimes we can't fix it, and we need to find the person who can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we a couple of years ago, FSP, we were at our an annual convention and. Um, the head of the um, helpline came to talk to us. He was the executive director. And somebody asked, you know, like, how many thousands of calls do you get? And, you know, how many of those do you have to, you know, call, you know, police or kind of, you know, escalate? And he said over the 90% of the thousands of calls they get, um, they're able to be diffused by just listening. You know, so that texter or the caller that calls that crisis line, they just want someone to listen to them. Um, And they just needed to vent in a way that, you know, someone wasn't trying to fix their problem. Um, You know, so that just really strikes me that, you know, 90% of the calls that they get in, you know, that they're able to be diffused and, you know, those people are able to go on. They just need someone to hear, to hear them. So, you know, we want to avoid trying to convince them that life is worth living. We want to avoid that advice to fix it. Um, I remember in the audience one time, a dad stood up and he said, you know, if, if, you know, I saw my kid was heading down this road, you know, I think the first thing I would do was try to convince them that, you know, their life is worth living. You know, I would tell them like, you've got a great family and you've got friends and we have a nice house and you're doing great in school. You know, and he just couldn't kind of wrap his mind around why we wouldn't want to convince them. Um, but remember, we said that suicide was a health issue. You know, so if, um, you know, Nick and Jay, you guys are together and, you know, Nick clutches his chest and he's going down to the floor um, having a heart attack, you know, that wouldn't be the time that Jay would chime in and say, hey, Nick, you really need to get on a diet and exercise program. Right. Um, but he would be calling 911, you know, right. so you know, your child or, you know, your loved one is at that point, um, you've missed the mark and we need to, you know, kind of escalate it. And that's not the time to convince them that. And then we always tell people really just to trust your gut. Um, assume that you're the only one that's going to reach out. And if you feel like something's not right, chances are it's not right. And you should ask about it. And it's really tough with adults when you get into that aspect because if you're in a if you're in an out type of relationship and you're ready to seek help and they're too proud to mm-hmm. want to talk to somebody even though you know 
the things that they're saying and they're doing is really stretched and really out there because they're reaching and they're they're in pain and you're like look we need to go seek some counseling i don't need any counseling you know that kind of thing that's the scary part Mm -hmm. you know and it's really just um you know just letting them know like hey you don't seem like yourself you know i'm worried about you um you know and i'm here to listen and just and you know I mean, of course, we can't force anyone to get into therapy or treatment, but just letting them know that you're there and you're available and, you know, and you would support them. Um, we also like to give people the suicide prevention lifeline numbers. Um, that's the 1-800-273-TALK. Um, and of course, next year, that will transition over to 988. And then we also like to give the crisis text line. Um, so you would just text the word talk seven four one seven four one. Yeah, I'd like to get all that information from you so that we can put it on the on the podcast at the end of this so that not only we'll have your voice and all the things that we'll say it, but we could also type it in there so they can actually write it down or go where they need to go. But mm-hmm. that'll be here in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um so I, I did want to talk about a couple of things. Um, so two years ago, 2019, November, um, I did participate in the um, Out of the Darkness fundraiser um, in the Woodlands. And mm-hmm. so I would like to just uh, kind of, can you cover, are you guys going to be doing that again? What kind of other things, fundraisers do you use, uh, do you uh, have? And then, you know, I guess... My research basically said that the funds that you raise from this go to education uh, companies. Um, of course, it goes towards funding the hotline. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, we are excited that we are, fingers crossed, going to be able to walk in person this fall. Um, our date is November 6th, and it'll be at the Town Green, again, in the Woodlands. And, um, you know, we're just excited to, to see everyone again. You know, every year, you know, except for last year, we have about 3,000 families come out um, to show, show their support um, about suicide prevention to honor, you know, maybe a loved one that they lost. So it's just really special to see all of those families come out. Um, if you haven't ever been to our walks, we give out beads. Um, they look like Mardi Gras beads, but um, we've got nine different bead colors and they all represent a certain loss. You know, so if you lost a child, you get white beads. If you lost um, a spouse, you get red beads. A sibling is orange beads. You know, if you struggle yourself, that's a certain color. Um, so it's just really neat to look around and look at the beads other people are wearing and just know that you've got a connection, know that you're not alone, um, you know, in, in your journey. Um, so the walk again will be on November 6th at Town Green Park. And you can learn more. You can get registered at AFSP.org slash Houston. Um, Jay, you mentioned the fundraising. Um, so yeah, so our fundraising for AFSP um, really goes, the bulk of it goes to research. So, you know, why does this happen? Um, you know, that's why AFSP got started. Some doctors got together and they were just really frustrated that there wasn't enough 
research going on as to the why suicide happens. Um, so every year, AFSP funds um, millions of dollars in research, you know, to why this happens all over the country. Um, we also, um, you know, put some funding towards advocacy. You know, so we advocate at a state level and then at, at the federal level, you know, and that includes things like the 988 number, AFSP played a large part in that. Um, and then at the state level, it's just, you know, bringing that increased um, suicide prevention um, into schools. You know, we know that just since I've been at AFSP in the last three years, you know, every year, you know, the, the school staff and hospital staff have to do more um, in-depth training about mental health, about suicide prevention. And, you know, a big part of that comes from the advocacy work that AFSP does um, and our volunteer advocates. Um, of course, our community education. So we go out to businesses and churches and schools. Anyone that will have us will do the talk save signs. Um, you know, it's free of charge for us to come out. It's, you know, one of the reasons why we have and host our out of the darkness walks. Um, and then we also provide support, you know, to those who have lost um, someone. So we do that through our Survivor Day program. So the, the, third, the Saturday before Thanksgiving every year, we host a Survivor Day program. I think um, normally we have three all around Houston. And it's really a way for new survivors to come out and meet other people, AFSP does some video programming. You know, people kind of share what brought them here. And it's just a more intimate you know, smaller than a walk, um, just a more intimate way to, um, to know that you're not alone. Um, and then we also have our healing conversations program. And that's where if you lost someone, you can call into AFSP and they will match you with a volunteer that lives in your area um, that's had a similar loss. And that volunteer calls and reaches out to you. It's not professional counseling. It's just a one-time phone call. But again, it's just that listening ear so that you know that you aren't alone. That's you know, pretty I'm, awesome. Having yeah, somebody I mean, that's had the same with the, the same thing that happened to you that you have somebody to talk to, I think it makes people feel more comfortable that way. To yeah, say, I mean, you know what I'm going through. The relation is yes, huge. It's huge. Yeah. It's a big deal. I, I've lost a spouse years and years and years ago. And I had a friend that I went to high school with that were Facebook friends, no, you know, and we didn't keep in touch or anything, but then she lost her and she actually reached out to me, you know, weeks later saying, how did you go through it? And her and I had some excellent conversations just over the phone about, mm -hmm. and she said, thank you so much for being there. It helped. And I, mm -hmm. I just kind of smiled and said, Hey, you reached out to me and I was here for you. Cause you know, but we had that connection again, which was really mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm. And we know, we know that suicide loss is a unique loss. You know, it's different than an illness. It's different than you kind of knew it was coming. It was, you know. Yes. Um, there's no closure. And, yeah, there's no closure. You know, it's just out of the blue. It's a stigma around it. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know how to you know, what to say, you know, what not to say. So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a unique loss. And unless you've gone through it, it's really hard to be able, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, AFSP, we've got this program set up all across the country. So um, probably we get three or four requests a month 
you know, we've got, I think, five trained volunteers um, here in the greater Houston area, and they're able to call, like I said, and just reach out and just be that listening ear for someone. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Cammy, for coming on. This is a very dear subject to me, um, just because of everything I went through with my son, Andrew. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about the uh, foundation. Um, like I said, it's American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, ASFP.org. Um, AFSP. Yeah, AFSP. <laughs> Sorry, did I say it wrong? <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I appreciate you sharing all those things um, that you talked about, you know, the, the factors, the mood, um, you know, all of those things. Uh, you know, we're going to be following up this podcast with a second podcast where I'm going to be talking about what happened with Andrew and kind of, you know, sharing the, the lead up to what happened and the emotions that come afterwards and so we're talking about those things as well um kind of a little bit of a therapy for myself um you know but i found that sharing what happened and i told my kids this um after it happened is we have to talk about it you know that was the big thing you have to talk uh, I wanted my kids to talk about it. We talked about it, and we talked about it. And for months, we talked about it over and over. And I never let it go because I didn't want them to get the idea that, you know, uh, I, I just didn't want, I didn't want it to happen again, I guess, more than anything. Because I knew they were going to be going through depression. So, you know, so... But, uh, you know, we, we did. My kids, um, they're, all still, um, they're all still alive except for uh, Andrew. And so far, um, they do all have a few bouts of depression. But for the most part, you know, they, uh, they move forward. I think that's the key, moving forward. So sometimes you just have to listen, and it's very hard for a father who's a fixer just listen yeah. mm -hmm. in an impasse a tough thing yeah we always want to fix it yes so uh cammy anything else you want to share with us before we uh wrap this up no that's it i mean just really thank you guys for inviting us on and you know the more that we're talking about the subjects you know like judge max says we're bringing light to something that's dark so it's important so thank you you know, and you never know. Maybe we'll start seeing people do mental health physicals. Maybe that's something we need to start pushing forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, well, I want to thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, for all those of you listening, um, you know, start talking. Uh, find someone who will listen. And uh, hopefully we can save some lives. And uh, that's what the uh, foundation's here to do as well. So we'll post up all the uh, phone numbers and uh, website information. We'll include it. So, you know, I don't have anything else, Nick. Thank you again, Cammy. I appreciate it.
Yep. Tammy. Thank you so much. Yep. We appreciate it. And, uh, you know, for all your listeners, follow, subscribe, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks.